welcome friends as you know we are today at a very important juncture 4th of april 2010 marks the centenary of sri aurobindo's arrival in pondicherry its significance is obvious so there is no need to touch upon that really with the mother's grace it is also the golden jubilee of sri aurobindo society which he established in 1960 so it is a momentous year this before us and we are celebrating these two great events all over the country and outside and this celebration has two aspects the inner and the outer having just lectures or seminars and talking about sri aurobindo's and the mother's philosophy and, and the yoga is not good enough if there is no inner effort to improve so this period is important from both points of view to dedicate to rededicate ourselves individually internally and to collectively get together and celebrate this great descent of force that is taking place now in this in this period these talks that we are having are really a part of those celebrations the first one is very important and we requested a look to set the rhythm of the talks which are going to take place the subject that he has chosen is to speak or not to speak so have you decided so we we'll let us see whether he will or he will not he will he has to tell us but it is a very a very intriguing kind of a title and uh, i would request alok now to please decide and tell us what he wants to do friends as i was coming towards the hall still debating whether i should speak or simply say i make a choice not to speak and let us just sit and meditate someone suggested that we should modify the title as to hear or not to hear but the problem is that to hear or not to hear is always easy this choice is not difficult we can be sitting in front of someone who is speaking with all his will and uh, good intentions and we can still be shut off with all our ears open one cannot do so when it comes to speech because speech is a dynamic active process frankly it's not so much of a talk as an honest sharing because for years and years decades it's almost like a paradox of destiny i have debated within myself to speak or not to speak in fact i have always avoided reading anything from any other source except mother and shorbindo and it's true that 
of course, some others like Nalnida and uh, all other writings included. And I have always felt, and this is for truth, that all the answers, every conceivable problem that we can think about or conceive has been more than adequately answered in all their writings. And again, having gone through the entire uh, volumes of Mother and Shubindo, plus the agenda, plus the writings of other, um, some of the other authors, as I said, like Nalnida, Champak Lalji, Pavitra Das compilations, etc. Um, I have found that the only one who can really authentically and not only speak but simplify Shurabindo, so to say, because this is a common problem that Shurabindo is very difficult, is the mother. And everything that is there in Shurabindo, everything is there in the mother. There is, if one reads through the conversations of the mother completely, nothing is really missed out. Absolutely nothing. All that from the point of view of receiving the contact with the consciousness and an intellectual understanding, a lighting up of the fire of aspiration in the heart, all those things which one gets from Sherbindo's writings, one gets from the mother's writings. This is my fact of uh, experience. Uh, I am sure many others had it, but I am just sharing from this perspective. Also, there is another problem that Shurabindo is so vast, so is the mother's writing, so vast, that it's very easy to pick up something from here and there and completely misrepresent Shurabindo. The mother says in one of the places that only if you have read everything that Shurabindo has said on a subject, can you begin to understand Shurabindo which amounts to practically going through all the 30, now 35 volumes and all other things, whereas there is a tendency to just read some of those compilations and come to a conclusion that one has understood Shurabindo. And even after having gone through all that, only one can begin to understand, let alone quoting, for very often we use quotes to justify a preferred position and I had a very humorous instance of it recently on the net. Someone wrote, the mother never liked to, to be quoted. She has said, and he went on to quote the mother. And uh, I had to just point out this also is a quote incidentally, you know, because we tend to do it, and we do it so unconsciously. And when it comes to Shurabindu, he's really so vast. In one of his letters, Shurabindu says, what I... Write for X applies to X and not necessarily to Y. To someone who eats more and sleeps more, I may say, eat less, sleep less. To someone else, I may say, just the opposite. Someone who eats less and sleeps less is likely to say, eat more and sleep more. There are letters like that, where he has said, you must rest your nerves, you must not... Cutting down on sleep is not very good. You must eat adequately. There are letters like that. To someone else, when uh, let's take two classic examples, in fact, to the same person in different stages. At one stage, Shurabindu says, no, if you drastically cut down on sleep and food, it's not good. And when the same person at another point of time asks that I have an intense desire to eat this, Shurabindu says, eat your desire. So it's 
very difficult to really one can pick up this and quote and one can pick up something else and quote and one would believe one to be right but one can say that both are equally right and equally wrong because it all depends on the context upon the state of the person who is receiving it when it comes to spiritual things it becomes even more difficult because inherently spirituality is a very subtle subject that's why in the kathopanishad there is um, something very interesting that before yama talks to nachiketa in a full fledged dialogue he tests him are you ready really to listen what i am going to say so he gives him all kinds of prolobhan and when nachiketa insists that i want this and this alone then yama says something very remarkable he says rare is one who can speak about it and rare is he who can listen it it's such a rare thing it's it's not it's very easy of course to speak nowadays we have platforms and we have always um possibility communication is so widespread so it's it's very easy to fall into this trap of speaking and of course this trap is not only to the listeners who very often i have seen there is a tendency to sometimes put the speaker on a certain pedestal which is very very dangerous dangerous not only to the person who puts the speaker on the pedestal but more dangerous to the speaker himself because he may well be led into a illusion sometimes a delusion that i know because i can speak but most often we speak without knowing anything at all and especially in this yoga one has to be doubly doubly conscious because there has to be absolutely no intermediaries leave alone human beings no intermediaries even in terms of gods and powers and aspects and personalities between the mother and oneself so these are real issues some of these issues can be very critical and it's human mind can further crystallize already when we speak we are already whether we like it or not even the best speakers even with the best of intentions most honest we bring down the power the beauty leave aside the wisdom contained to many many levels down we also diminish and distort unwittingly very often unconsciously one can't help it even as we speak great saints have noticed it even by the very fact of describing an experience even the great ones because the inherent limitation of speech as an instrument our faculty of speech has not developed to a point where it can perfectly express the truth as it is seen and that is why we find very often in shurbindo's writings long sentences and people often wonder why shurbindo is using long sentences and there are of course always enthusiasts like us who would like to give a easy ready reckoner like in exams we used to have a kunji there is a kunji system and i was surprised even in mbbs we have kunjis so be careful about you know going to all and sundry doctors because there are doctors who have done very well just reading the kunjis kunjis are like keys so you don't read through the entire text you don't care to understand you just read things which are necessary to pass an exam and you memorize them there are such things available in medical schools also and uh, i used to be horrified when i saw that because you don't have to understand anything and you can really do well in a medical exam i'm telling you this as a doctor 
So we like to simplify it further and like to make it like a kunji. And there is a very big problem in that. We crystallize something which is very vast, very subtle, very complex. It's like trying to capture the Himalaya in a few words. Even if we were to describe everything, still we would not describe the breathtaking experience that one gets, the delight, when one is face to face even with a single peak of the Himalayas. One may speak anything and everything about the Himalayas, read a book on Himalayas. But those of us who have gone even a little, and when we see that, oh, it's so magnificent. One wonders that none of the books contains anything about it. And Shurabindo wants to give us a total picture. It's not possible to capture it if one were to be absolutely half a sentence or one sentence. A simple phrase of Shurabindo, the way the life divine start, the earliest preoccupation of man, or so it seems his inevitable preoccupation, because it returns after every period of skepticism, banishment and denial, seems to be also his last. All this continues. And if you really see every turn of phrase captures a truth, a facet of truth. And if we cut out all these bits, then we actually end up falsifying the same thing. Supposing we reduce it into a simple formula, we may say that man's earliest preoccupation is God, light, freedom, immortality. We can just reduce it like that. But it's not true. There have been periods of denial, skepticism. We have just passed through that. There have been periods that humanity has returned with a much greater vehemence on its primeval longings, as Shurabindo puts it. So, it's, it's a total picture that Shurabindo gives. And so beautiful. It's like a marvelous architecture with every little detail, like some of the South Indian temples, which are so rich. One just wonders, if we enter any of the South Indian temples, we see it's not just a question of architecture. Every god is in its place. And as we enter each, there are number of images till we reach the final Garbhagraha where there is the image of the Supreme Deity. Something marvelous, not like something bland and you just go inside. And So Shurabindo's writings are like that. His words are like that, like a rich and complex architecture. And every time we speak about it, we reduce it to something palatable, like a you know, priest who says, oh, no need to go to all these places, just come here and I'll show you the picture and go away. But we miss out the whole beauty. So this has been, I mean, all these things I have debated inside, as I said, sharing, it's more like a sharing to me on a very personal level, that whether one should speak or not speak. Of course, it's a paradox that so far one has always ended up speaking. And even now, while um, Pradeep Bhai was speaking of 1910 as a landmark, this was a landmark in many ways. And one of the landmarks which strikes one is that this can be literally called a landmark when Shurabindo seemingly retired from active life. He went into what people call a solitude. He kind of stopped speaking. We have his speeches before that. Very powerful speeches, very beautiful. He travelled all over the country, many places went off and spoke. He wrote extensively in some of his articles. 
बट द अदर ब्यूटी इज दैट आफ्टर इज सो कॉल्ड सॉलिट्यूड ही कुड ब्रिंग आउट दीज थर्टी टू थर्टी फाइव वॉल्यूम्स ऑफ सच ब्यूटी एंड सच ग्रैंड्योर सो ब्यूटिफुली ही रिकनसाइल्ड इज सो कॉल्ड रिटायरमेंट विथ सच ए डायनामिक एक्टिविटी दैट वन ऑफ एन वंडर्स दैट दे आर रियली नॉट अपोजिट्स दे कॉम्प्लीमेंट ईच अदर दिस इज द काइंड ऑफ रिजल्ट ऑफ ऑल दीज रिफ्लेक्शन सो फार दैट टू स्पीक एफेक्टिवली एज द मदर से दैट इफ यू हैव टू स्पीक एफेक्टिवली फॉर फ्यू मिनट्स वन मस्ट रिमेन साइलेंट फॉर टेन आवर्स आई नो हाउ मच I have struggled to meet this yardstick to speak effectively for few minutes. We speak for hours and hours, and we have silence only for few minutes. We have reversed the whole thing, so one can imagine what really comes out. So it comes to eventually this. that yes one has to the the these are the points which i said are kind of prevent us from speaking about mother and shobindo because unless we have really read all that they have said unless we have really reflected and most important unless we have tried to live a little it's very very important because nothing can be understood unless one takes a single step on the journey and one little step reveals so much the depth of the writings what it really means a simple thing like mother gives a practice stepping back shobindo speaks of psychic being we write books on psychic being and there are people who have asked those who have written books that have you realized your psychic being and the answer has been honestly in the negative so this is not a very good situation because if somebody asks suddenly have you realized your soul and we speak about soul we speak even about supramental mother says unless you have realized your psychic being supramental is a very far thing your mind can understand nothing about it these are her words i think last tuesday talk we shared this uh, thing from the mother that's useless to speak about supramental unless one has taken this minimum step of having come in contact with the soul without that experience and she says it's not just an intellectual exercise obviously it's a real living experience she has described the experience in such detail all the shades of the experience so the whole purpose of speaking should be if at all it's not just cutting the vast subtle thing into little sound bites and light bites and giving some bits of information it's not that it should be as the mother says to transmit a living experience something which is living she says don't speak something which you are no more living you not only living in the beginning but no more living if you are not living it or if you speak something very often there is a tendency often that you know we make some notes and we have prepared some standard set talks with some standard topics and we like to speak about it all over again everywhere it's not a good tendency because it becomes something dead it doesn't have the power to evoke something deep inside us it simply becomes a dead ritual where we speak certain memorized things rattle them out and of course the listeners as i said have no choice or perhaps they have a choice to just shut off or not to shut off 
but that's not what speaking is about it's about really sharing something which is happening inside us if we are not moved by something deep inside of course in shirbinda and the mothers case we would say moved by the love there is a very powerful statement of the mother who can understand shirbinda course we all claim to understand shirbinda and write books on shirbinda some aspects of his teachings even his life which is far beyond our comprehension who can understand shirbinda he is as vast as the universe and his teaching is infinite these are not just sentiments what can we understand when shirvindu uses a simple word like bliss i can understand all the shades of meaning i can say it's not this joy it's something which you experience deep inside the soul but what is that bliss which shirvindu describes when he speaks of the bliss of brahman in one of his poems like a giant flood flooding the brain flooding the being tossing the entire being in its vastness and eternity that's power it's not just a word and no number of definitions can explain us what that bliss is the whole purpose of shirbinda and the mother's writing is to awaken that in us so she says who can understand shirbindo he is as vast as the universe he has poems where he describes of the cosmic consciousness who is he who is writing he who could wrap the wide world in his wider self that's one of his poems that i have wrapped the wide world in my wider self in savitri he describes a state of consciousness where savitri has already achieved nirvana and then she enters into cosmic consciousness and then she is told that you must be so boundless that arcturus and belphegor these are two constellation of stars you must experience them burning in a corner of your boundless self we have so we are so small how can we understand shirbindo his teaching is vast as the universe he is vast as the universe and his teaching is infinite it's not something which can be fixed ever i had a very strange i can share it's a very homely audience and it was long back i had this experience again debating i had to give a talk and i was offering and praying should i speak or not speak and suddenly i slipped into a reverie and i saw a book which was pages were opening and it was shobin those words on those pages and on the left side bottom margin there was picture of the mother on every page and as i was seeing the words they were like something turning from liquid into hard stones liquid into hard stones liquid into hard stone as the pages were turned and in that reverie i wonder what is this happening then as this thought flashes and i look at the mother who is on the left side corner of every page suddenly i see a fire behind these stone like words and that fire is coming out and again these crystals are disappearing it was something very very interesting i don't know what really it means except that what occurred to me at that point of time is that when we try to understand their words by the mind 
by giving them a very fixed and rigid form mother says this mother says that mother does not like this mother does not like that we are actually doing a great harm and mother herself has said this interestingly in one of our uh, conversations it's in volume 10 she speaks of certain people quoting the mother about some social issue and mother says that even here people judge like this she says those who judge like this from a purely social point of view are not yet ready to enter the supramental path and then on top of it she says and to add to this stupidity they add another these are her words to add to this stupidity they add another and they say mother says this mother does not say this mother likes this mother does not like this so the first part of the experience was that whenever we vehemently categorically say this is what mother has said this is what shurabindo has said and anything then we are perhaps somewhere erring on the side of excess this is an excess mother cautions us in one of her writings that uh, it's very nice that you think that this what shurabindo means because you have faith in shurabindo but if you believe this is the only way then you are committing an error there are so many ways that shurabindo reveals himself so one aspect of it was that to turn their writings into fixed rigid formulas can be really and it's often done with goodwill i mean i have done it and i have realized later on that uh, one has to be lot more plastic i myself gone through this phases and i'm sure many of us have gone through to turn them into fixed formulas of course there is the other side where we turn it into a totally loose thing that's also one has to strike a balance but to turn them into fixed rigid formulas is dangerous because we crystallize them we fix their meanings we fix their uh, even their we limit the beauty and thereby limit their infinite possibilities that's what the mother says his teaching is infinite what it means is that when this teaching strikes a finite mind it awakens and it awakens and it goes on awakening so every time we read it it reveals in a new way till it carries us to the borders of infinity i know someone here in the ashram who is very elderly crossed his 80s very well respected for his erudition for his knowledge mother has said that uh, he has one of the most clear logical minds and he was he is respected for all that he has read and he could quote from shurabindo literally with one passage he could bring out another passage a third passage with page paragraph references so recently i had just met him on his birthday and um, he said you know uh, i just want two more years to at least two more years to live what is the agenda he says i have read shurabindo completely 22 times i want to read it now once again with all the depth with all my being as a living experience it's it's amazing it was a very very humbling experience someone who has read 22 times is known respected he could freely quote from here and there he has never as far as i know traveled out and given any talks and i'm sure he won't like his name to be mentioned so i'm keeping it but 
he says i want to read once again and that is why i want to you know another two years lease so that i can read shurabinda and the mother and he cannot read now his eyesight is so poor so he uses those magnifying glasses and the print is big and what an effort that effort if we can bring out in ourselves to read mother and shurabindo rather than just you know falling into complacency it's so easy to always talks and all these are always a very easy often a poor substitute they are all right i mean but if you can read them so she says his teaching is infinite so then what is the key how are we to go about we needs something or someone to explain it don't we so mother says something very interesting there she says the only way we can come a little closer to him is to love him and to give oneself unconditionally to his work of terrestrial transformation the secret of understanding is not in the head but in the heart this is something very beautiful it's like a revelation all understanding can awaken inside that's what shubhendu is telling us ultimately through all these volumes the eternal veda is secret in the heart of every thinking creature the veda is not outside outside is a very abridged edited version it's the again kind of kunji if you like but the eternal veda the infinite veda is secret in the heart and it opens itself it's like a closed bud and it opens itself swiftly or suddenly or slowly what is the condition if the mind of man turns toward the eternal and if his heart no more enamored by surface appearances is taken up and thrust full of that love for the eternal then the understanding the awakening comes and then when we read there is such a joy in in, in the reading and then that's what is the second part of the experience that when we read it by the mind the words crystallize they are something very fluid something subtle plastic they crystallize into stones and stones are not very nice things they can build a nice building but one can also use them to hit often they are they become traps behind which we trap ourselves but there is another possibility which as i understood from this experience of mine that if we look at her because it's only when i looked at her picture with care with this reflection inside there is a fire that awakens inside and the true understanding comes all the stones were once again melting and the fire was emerging out they are not words they are fire living fire and when received rightly they can burn the false house of the ego and they can build a new house of the spirit and the new creation this is the power of his words and no amount of speech can capture even a fraction of it absolutely nothing in other words to really usefully speak about shurabindo if we want to put it why even about shurabindo even to usefully speak in our communication because speech was given to man of which we are so proud you know 
vainly proud of an as a means to build a bridge but all of us know that very often it's the means that is used to destroy all bridges built two persons are very happy with each other so long as they don't start speaking and that's why sometimes <laughs> it is really true and sadly true that the more we speak the more we create confusion not only in the mind of the other person sometimes even in our own minds of course some people like to speak so that they can be clear many of us need to speak unless we speak the thoughts are never clear but very often speech has become an instrument of the divisive forces that is the story of bible where they are trying to build a bridge to heaven and then the tower of babel and then the devil comes and corrupts the speech so what x says y doesn't understand and the whole tower collapses so an instrument which was meant to build a bridge becomes an instrument to collapse all the bridges and to divide and divide and divide and divide so often have we heard people say oh i am never understood one feels like saying if we spoke less we will be better understood the more we speak the less we are understood because who can understand really <laughs> we speak to express something the receiver is in his own mode of receiving he receives something else and in his consciousness the meaning conveyed is something very different by the time he transmits his meaning it has already become three levels of distortion and then we receive we further distorted oh you mean this and it goes on you know there are very many humorous uh, um, serials which have been built on this one of them was ali mcbeal those once very funny kind of serial that how exactly our communication can be misrepresented in the mind of another so leaving aside speaking of spiritual things which is very subtle shurabindu is so vast and complex even in our ordinary speech if we can do the sadhana of speech it will be very beautiful and the sadhana of speech shurabindu says is really really difficult not easy because speech by nature is an externalizing thing it tends to lower the consciousness by the very act of speaking it means even if we draw the word from the heights the paravak it said that speech is meant to be an instrument of the paravak the hidden word hidden in the higher hemisphere that which no ear can capture to bring it within the mortal's range is the real business of speech to bring down that which is hidden occult that word which is not accessible to us it's inaudible it's unstruck as the mystics say it is limitless anahat anahad to bring that vibration even a little of it in this instrument of speech and to let it do its work as a living reality but to do that one has to really engage in a whole sadhana and there are several aspects of the sadhana one we have already spoken of the mother says the more quiet we are the more we can speak usefully and in a true way there is a famous poem of shirbindo silence is all say the sages silence is the witness watching the work of the ages it's with silence that the cosmic scribe writes his cosmic pages silence is all say the sages but then he brings the other movement 
what of the speech o speaker what then of the thought o thinker speech is the wine and the word is the beaker life is the banquet table the soul of the sage is the drinker that's what shivin the sage in his poem my words are drunk with the immortal's wine a speech that does not communicate delight and is only dead information is coming only from here it has no sense at all it should carry with itself it should be instinct with delight the word is the beaker it's only the beaker it's an instrument it's a vehicle what it should pour through speech it should pour the wine the speech is the wine and the word is the beaker who should hear it the soul of the sage we should be in that state of the soul and what is the subject life is the banquet table there is no particular moment or time every time when we speak it should carry that vibration of delight which nothing can capture this is one to be quiet from the silence let the word emerge then there are other things she speaks of shubhendra also speaks of truth in speech and he says gives number of examples that unconsciously human beings tell a lie they exaggerate things of course lie is not just a lie which we speak of lie in terms of a gross lie it's understood that it's fatal and dangerous we unconsciously speak lies we exaggerate things or we undermine things and if we really go to the root of it these exaggerations and uh, minimization comes from opinions which we have formed since childhood so we have fixed opinions based on conventions society etc etc and these automatically give a color and a bias so when we are speaking something which would satisfy or justify a fixed opinion we see that automatically we exaggerate our tone everything becomes to emphasize and whenever we are saying something which is in the passing we put a but if and you know minimize the tone this is done so unconsciously so mother speaks of three kinds of thought one which are only because of sensations to really be able to speak well we must free ourselves from a number of thoughts which arise only because of sensations how many times when we meet each other on the road we end up saying oh it's so hot today as if there is no other thought going on in our head how does it matter it's thought every year it's it's <laughs> it's hot every year what difference does it make is it going to bring my soul forward or not that's its only issue if heat helps it better <laughs> if it doesn't doesn't matter how often oh it's so hot or did you hear that happened did you hear about him did you hear about her do you know what happened the mother puts all this category of sensational talk on which all our media and our own vital mind enjoys under the category of gossip to talk about others what they have done not done what they are doing what they are not doing why they are doing it why they are not doing it and then analyze judge criticize condemn sentence before everything is over she says this is dangerous it's gossip and it leads to degradation of consciousness and then she says something even more far more um, useful and far more striking she says and when this is accompanied 
with words of a very vulgar kind, then it is like committing spiritual suicide. So when we speak in a gossiping spirit and then we use words which are very abusive and like that, we are actually committing spiritual suicide. So this is all aspect of sadhana of speech. Truth, quiet. In one of his letters, Sri Aurobindo speaks of, of course we cannot always speak the truth because it may be not good to speak of it for various reasons. So Sri Aurobindo says you can remain silent. If you don't want to speak truth, you can remain silent. Silence is not a lie. Depending on situation, of course, sometimes we use silence very effectively. Very effectively we use everything, our speech as well as silence, to convey an untruth. By remaining silent, we justify certain things. As we know the famous Krishna's and Arjuna's samvad, that by inaction, you will become the perpetuator of a great horror, a carnage. So you must act. It's so subtle. All these things are so subtle that only by an awakening of the soul within us that we can really arrive. This is the result, final result of my reflection so far that we cannot make hard and fixed rules. If one is inspired, if one is quiet, if one feels moved by the deep psychic impulse and if one can be free of all personal reactions and there is no other judge or criteria except one's own sincerity, then one can speak, perhaps one should speak. But if there are vibrations of other kind, one should refrain from speaking. So the real criteria is inside and not outside. There is a story of a saint which mother has recounted in her tales that this saint would pass by and somebody would always abuse him and he would remain quiet. One day when this man abused, he picked him up, threw him to the ground and gave him a nice beating. So his disciple who was following him, he said, I don't understand these, your action. So many times you did not do anything. What happened today? Did your limit cross? He says, no, 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 no. There are no such limits. Then what happened? He says, every time he abused me or accused me, I felt a personal reaction. An anger and hatred rise within. So I did not act. Because it was a wrong impulse. I knew that he has to be given a beating. Because otherwise this man, belligerent man, will end up... He's not bothered about me, he will, what havoc he is going to do in the world. But I didn't want to act under this impulse. But this day, I was absolutely quiet. And when he spoke, there was no reaction inside me. So I acted only under the impulse of a higher command. It's so difficult. But that is the way. And as a practice, Sri tells us that what should be our attitude in everyday life towards a Psychic self-control of speech. He gives six, seven, five, six points. The original is from Letters on Yoga, Volume 3. It's somewhere around page 1535, around this page. So one can refer back because it's a beautiful letter. I won't be doing justice. Something very beautiful to uh, read in original. But Sri says the psychic self-control required... Of course, he's speaking of everyday life, not when we speak of Sri But obviously, this self-control extends when we speak of Sri or anything spiritual. He says, not to 
assert too much a particular point not to to avoid all debates discussions to state what has to be said and to leave it there as a suggestion to state what has to be said one has to state things but to say it and leave it as a suggestion not to allow the voice to be carried away under a vital impulse not to get into heated arguments animated discussions even though the other person is getting heated these are some of the simple things and then he says finally not to say something that would wound or hurt others i would close with an anecdote and then some lines from savitri the anecdote is that someone asked the mother i don't know how far it is true but i think it's from a very authentic source because the person uh, i trust his words he in fact asked the mother because he had observed some people talking inside the ashram near the samadhi and he felt the impulse to tell them to stop talking and he asked the mother should i say or should i not to speak or not to speak so the mother said if you speak they will benefit and progress if you don't speak you will progress but thought nor word can seize eternal truth the whole world lives in a single ray of her in a lonely ray of her sun in our hypnosis with one single luminous point we dream that the chains of thought have made her ours but only we play with our own brilliant bonds thus is it so even with the seer and the sage for still the human limits the divine so what is the remedy out of thoughts we must leap up to sight her single vast supremacy confess dare to surrender to her absolute then the unmanifest reflects his form into the still mind as in a living glass and we are wrapped into eternity for truth is greater and wider than her forms a thousand icons they have made of her and worship her in the idols they adore but she remains herself and infinite thank you